Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the week's most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Editor-in-Chief Drew Cherry, and I'm joined today by Executive Editor John Fiorillo and Editor Rachel Mutter. Let's dive right in, folks. It's been another big coronavirus-heavy week. Uh, we also had earnings coming out that we've been able to digest from uh, from the salmon companies and from from some others to get a sense of what's been happening in the first quarter. And we're getting first quarter numbers about uh, food service and retail figures, which are are giving us a much better sense of where things have been in the first quarter. Uh, what we don't know uh, is where things are going to go. And that's what we're going to talk about a bit today, uh, at least to begin, is we're going to uh, look at our crystal balls and take a look at where things might start to recover and uh, what things might be gone forever. Um, John, this was your topic idea. I'm going to let you uh, set the stage for this so we can all give our thoughts on what seafood might look like post-recovery. Yeah, I, I've been you know, reading a lot and hearing a lot about when things start to normalize and ultimately get back to quote-unquote normal. What will seafood look like will we have will we be able to hold on to all the gains that we've made in this period at retail will we be able to recover the losses that we are experiencing at food service um so i'm curious to you know explore that a little bit and you know my first thought is food service will take a little while to recover obviously and where it will be challenged is at an, is in a sector where seafood does very well, and that's the high end and um, some of the casual um, segments in in uh, in food service. So um, that part of the business, though, I think is really going to struggle to come back. A lot of the higher end uh, seafood, uh, you know, higher end restaurants in general are uh, private uh, they're not parts of chains necessarily and those guys um, I think are really going to struggle to bounce back and that's where you know when you look at menu penetration for seafood um, fine dining is you know where it's highest um, in most cases and the ones that are bouncing back and the ones that have been resilient through this period are the you know, quick service and the fast casual where seafood doesn't have the greatest market penetration and where it does in those is in a very narrow band of species, generally salmon, shrimp, and some whitefish. So, um, you know, I, I really think the food service side of the business is going to be interesting to watch. There's going to be fewer operators which means the suppliers out there, the seafood suppliers out there are going to be chasing fewer customers. I, I, I ju it just seems like there's going to be um, some big impact there uh, that may not bounce back in, in the way that it appeared before Corona. Well, I think that um, just looking at what happened in the first quarter, um, we, we have a story up today about the, the UK spend on seafood. It was about 90 million pounds a week was spent by Britons uh, on seafood at restaurants. 
and compared to last year for the through the first three months of the year, um, so, so remember that's January and February being relatively normal and part of March. Um, still, sales were down twenty five percent in the total market. But as you're alluding to, John, the quick serve restaurants, so that's your McDonald's, etc. Um, those only fell about six percent, but you did see full service restaurants and pubs and bars. Um, food only at pubs and bars, they fell by 41%, full service by 35%. So it's fallen off a cliff. And then when we start to see the numbers for uh, the remainder of April and May, which will be available you know, within the coming weeks, I think we're going to see things even more dramatic. And, you know, I don't, I, I think obviously high-end dining will return at some point. Um, and, and quick service is going to probably hang in there. But I think that that full service sector there, I don't know that it comes back uh, at all in near the way that it has. And that doesn't necessarily you know, have to mean the end of uh, all that seafood consumption. And in fact, companies have been able to replace uh, retail sales to a certain extent. Um, that, that they've lost on food service. Not everybody can do that. Not every company can do that. Um, but I don't know. I don't see that coming back. I don't see that, that returning in the way that uh, it, it was. I think you're going to see complete restructuring. So we saw, for example, the bamboo uh, sushi chain, the owner of that chain, um, they own something else, another fish restaurant. I can't remember. Um, but it was two relatively kind of, you know, they were two... Uh, full service restaurants, but kind of, kind of in that fast. Uh, well, I wouldn't say fast casual, but they're not. It was. It's not high end dining, but um, but it was full service, very seafood specific. I don't know that a chain like that comes back. I think the mom and pop, um, you know, sushi units will will uh, come back, um, but I just don't know that that we're gonna see those same types of. Um, of units, at least not in the proliferation that we've seen them come before. Rachel, what do you think? Yeah, I think what comes out of this is quite a different shaped um, market for seafood, actually. I mean, I agree with you both. I think in terms of food service, um, yeah, dine-in restaurants, I, I think they're going to take a long time to recover. Um, we're already seeing some sort of crashing out entirely, and I think when when this is this is over and we're all vaccinated and um, able to to go about our normal lives again, um, yeah, it's going to be a very different picture out there. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for the seafood industry. I mean, it is in a sense because seafood has always sort of notoriously been eaten at these high end restaurants, dining restaurants. That's where its its big market is. Um, but what what all these lockdowns have done is has given seafood an opportunity to be eaten in the home. Um, it's it's forced companies to look at their retail products to focus there. Um, and I think what's come out of it, then we've seen it, it is an increase in in people buying seafood in supermarkets, which I think is only a good thing because it forces people to learn how to cook it themselves. Um, someone I was speaking to earlier in the week was, was saying that they've seen this as a trend. Uh, someone at Robert Bank. Um, that there are new customers in the segment, particularly things like like canned tuna and salmon fillets. Uh, there's new customers coming to the segment, and they're learning how to cook 
you know, using sort of uh, Instagram Instagram and and chef videos and stuff like this. So it's bringing people in. It's teaching people how to cook it. Um, it's forcing people into a new situation. And I think then that 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 only does well for seafood. Um, I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know about that. I mean, okay, let's look at the surge at retail. It's been largely canned and frozen, i.e., fish sticks. <clears throat> okay, that that's great. But that, you know, that isn't going to really sustain some marvelous consumption trend going forward, because once things recede, I mean, you're not going to go out and buy canned tuna every week like you might be now. And you certainly aren't going to buy fish sticks every week or frozen breaded fish, whatever it may be. So the two tips of the spear, as far as the surge is concerned, are going to fall back. Um, now the question is, the one you raised is, is there really um, density to this idea that the uh, people have been forced to bring seafood into their diet at home and learned how to cook it and will embrace it going forward? I, personally, I, I don't think so. Honestly, I really don't. I hope it does. I hope that happens. I hope that's the way it goes, but I don't. I don't really believe that's going to be the case. I think, you know, things will fall back. I think the trade pack versus the fresh case will be interesting to watch. Um, um, yeah, it, will the fresh cases go away? And will, the, you know, will they be replaced by chilled packed uh, product? I don't know, but I, I'm just not willing to think that all these people that have been locked up for so long are now going to really embrace seafood at home. Maybe they will. I don't know. You know, I think that, that what we will see as a result uh, of the changes is that we're going to see a narrowing, uh, a smaller band of options on seafood. And that is, um, that's a good thing, I think. And what I mean by that is it tends to be uh, you know, it tends to be some of the higher-end restaurants that do um, serve more uh, exotic species. They they like to diversify and offer a bunch of different, um, you know, a, a different names from different locations. I think we're going to see a lot less of that. And I think um, coronavirus has sped this trend up. And, you know, you mentioned it just a few minutes ago, John. It's salmon, it's shrimp, it's some whitefish. Everything else, uh, I would not expect to see any kind of major growth. Um, and I would see, given that there's so much logistics work uh, and so much expertise needed to go and um, get some of these more uh, exotic or, or you know, uh, fresher local caught fish, for example, I don't think that is. Uh, I don't think we're going to see that bounce back very easily. I think things like community-supported agriculture and those types of things are popular on, say, the coasts in the in the in the United States uh, or uh, metropolitan areas in Europe, for example. Again, close to the to the water. Um, but I think in general, uh, we're going to see people on the other side of this really kind of limit what they are serving customers. Um, obviously, restaurants want to make money and they want to make margin. 
And the more complex the seafood supply chain is and the offerings, and it's already very complex, the harder it's going to be. So I think that will be one result on the other side of this is that we're going to see a, a much narrower band of, of um, demand in terms of, of species. I find that so disheartening, and largely because one of the beauties of seafood is the variety, you know, everything from stone mm -hmm. crab to sturgeon to salmon, et cetera, et cetera. And I agree that um, a lot of those more um, off-the-beaten-path species are introduced at the fine dining level and, and through food service. And then they, you know, they work, they get modified, but they work their way up through you know, uh, smaller restaurants and then chain restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, that that would be impacted if, if we lose that fine dining segment to a large degree. But, yeah, I just, I, I think you're right. I, I totally think you're right because we're already seeing it. And, um, but it's, it's disheartening to me because I, the variety of seafood is such a unique part of this protein that, you know, chicken and beef and all the other ones don't really have. Yeah. Yeah. But can I come to that point? Because I, on one hand, I agree with you, John, like it's a bit of a shame, isn't it? If, if we narrow down on, on variety in the sector, but at the same time, I think for seafood to truly succeed as a, as a global protein on any scale, it has to narrow down. It has to take lesson, lessons from mm -hmm. from other protein industries. You know, there's not there's not 155 different species of chicken on the market. There just isn't. There's there's chicken, and and then you have some very niche. You know, you, you might have some corn fed chicken or you know organic chicken, and those are the differentials that you get. And the same with beef. You know, there's there's wagyu beef. You know, which you you pay a lot more for and but beyond that, there's just a generic beef, and it serves the industry well. Uh, there's no denying it. And and seafood it, it allows focus amongst producers. Um, it allows it allows concentration on different product forms rather than on, on the a million different species and educating everyone on where they come from and how to cook them. And you know, I think seafood has been making its life very difficult for a very long time. And yeah, it could take some lessons from the meat industry for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that um, we'll pivot to that in just a second because uh, we're going to talk about a story that Rachel wrote uh, about the meat shock. Um, you, you know, I, I think that we're, we're going to see that happen in part because of these coronavirus, uh, because of the, the trends towards eating at home. Um, but also, um, as you say, Rachel, because I think as a protein, um, it has to become more industrialized as well. And the supply chain for seafood, I, I think, you know, I think, John, there'll always be, you know, niche species. I think there'll always be oysters and, and those things around. Um, but I think it is a matter of, of focus. And I think it's a matter of giving people something familiar, something easily palatable. And so, in a way, this is a great opportunity, I think, for the for the sector um, to really start to focus on uh, on their logistics chain, uh, to really focus on automation, to really focus on delivering really consistent products in forms consumers want, rather than trying to be all things to all people. 
Um, it, it's just, I, I think it's a natural progression in a time when people really, I, I think people are experimental in terms of their cooking perhaps right now. Um, but I don't think that will last. And I think that people are going to want to simplify and they seem to be taking trends towards simplifying their lives and wanting to simplify their, their food chain, their supply chains. Yeah, but I mean, do we do we really want to live in that world where we've narrowed this um, menu of species down to shrimp, salmon, and tilapia or something like that? <clears throat> I mean, I guess, uh, you know, the, it's inevitable, I guess, and I agree with you guys that it's, it's developing in that direction, but uh yeah no i just think something gets lost and you know it has ramifications on the supply side because there are a lot of companies that exist in those um you know second tier if you will not not by value but just uh by demand uh second tier products and um you know they 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 do pretty well you know they they make a a business out of it but um yeah it's it's just interesting but i i think i think i agree it's just narrowing the menu quite a bit and i think that's only going to accelerate uh like rachel said because of corona and, and the, the thing is that'll have a major just to move to the structural side of things and how this will how corona will look uh how the seafood industry will look after again quote unquote normalcy returns so i guess post-vaccine maybe is the best way to describe it um, and I think the industry itself will follow these trends in, uh, in the way that it consolidates. And I think if you, if you start piecing together some of the things that we've seen, and even in our own reporting, what people are telling us about how this has affected our food supply chain, how consumers have begun to reconceptualize the, uh, the, the food supply chain, Interestingly enough, yes, there may be a trend towards some local production, but interestingly enough, I think this makes a case for more consolidation and bigger companies, even with Tyson and Cargill and Purdue having all these major problems with their meat production uh, plants. Um, in a way, I think that you have to have scale to really deliver, to, to not have a broken food supply chain. And... Um, you know, I, I think these companies make a lot of mistakes, and I think those mistakes are coming to light, and they're, I hope, going to, um, you know, going to to address some of those in a in a more in a faster way than they've done so far. One of the things that I see that's interesting is there are so many stories about the broken food supply chain in consumer uh, pubs, and a lot of times, what we're seeing is the authors, whether they're opinion pieces or they're just straight reported pieces, they talk about the move towards plant-based eating, um, which is what the topic of our podcast was last week. And it's very interesting. Nobody says in these stories, oh, the meat, you know, meat supply chain is broken. Um, what about seafood? Nobody brings that up. Um, and I think that is, uh, that's, that is one area of protein that these big conglomerates haven't really been able to wrap their heads around yet, but I think they will. And I think that'll happen relatively quickly, that we're going to have a lot of bankruptcies, unfortunately, over the next um, year. 
smaller, anybody trading, anybody that's not sitting on product, anybody that's not actually owning quota or owning fish in the water is going to have a hard, hard time. And there's a lot of those people that are straight not going to survive. Um, but I do think that uh, there are going to be opportunities for these larger companies. And who knows, it may be a company like Movie that, that leads this. Um, but there will be major companies that are going to start to consolidate the seafood supply chain as companies recognize, wow, we have this whole other protein that we need to add into our portfolio. We can't just do plant-based impossible burgers. We need it, this other protein. But if you're going to do it the Tyson way, the Tyson way is going to be, it has to, to, you're, you're going to have to focus on a supply chain that's very, very efficient. Um, and, and so I, I think on the other side of this, what do we see? We see probably some major agri-giants making some really opportunistic plays to get into to some of these companies. Yeah, but I mean, farm salmon is probably the most efficient uh, supply chain in seafood, I would guess, right now, give or take some others. But uh, all you need is ISA, and that supply chain falls apart. So even if the Tysons and uh, the big guys do dive in, um, they're certainly not immune from the same problems that affect uh, movie or any of the guys already in there. So, <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Anyways. Yeah. So, so along the same lines, Rachel, you talked to, uh, moved away from some of our, our standard seafood sources and talked to people that are in kind of broader protein uh, spheres, um, agronomics, I guess, maybe is what some of those analysts are called. Um, agronomists? Agronomists? I don't know. Anyway, they, they have hooves <laughs> and they have feathers. Um, but it was pretty interesting that... Um, that, that we're, you know, we're so focused on seafood that we don't really um, think uh, a lot about the other proteins. And then, um, and, and you took some time to dive down in. And what, what did you hear about the meat shock and what seafood, how it might impact seafood? Yeah, it was, it was actually fascinating um, to, to speak to some people in some other protein sectors. Um, it, it's a very different world is what strikes me when I speak to these people. Um, the language they use around meat production um, is so different from what we talk about in seafood. And it just shows, I think, the, the vast, um, yeah, the vast differences bet between the industries. Um, there's, you know, the meat industry, as you, as you mentioned, Drew, has sort of suffered, uh, processing factories have sort of suffered in terms of coronavirus infections. Um, and it's reduced capacity. They've they've had a lot of people not coming into work. Um, they've been forced to sort of look at new measures. Everyone now is spaced out in the factories. Um, and as such, there is a reduction in supplies of beef, of poultry, um, and particularly of pork because of also because of, of issues around uh, the African swine fever that hit um, late last year. So, yeah. There's a reduction, but but the word that I was banding around with with these uh, with these meat guys was um was shortage, and they they didn't like that word very much. Uh, it became clear. Um, they were very clear to point out there's no such thing as a, a shortage really in the meat industry because it is such a huge market um, and it's grown so rapidly. Uh, one of the guys at Wells Fargo was telling me 
that basically in the beef industry has grown so rapidly that the reduction that we're seeing now has only actually taken taken it down to 2014 levels, which on the scale of things isn't really um, isn't really that big a deal. Um, and he he and the others were pretty pretty confident that the, the sectors would ramp up again pretty quickly because I think that's that's the other thing that really stood out. They they're very sort of agile industries. They they have the scale um, to sort of ramp up capacity when they need to. Uh, someone mentioned that the poultry industry can just sort of open a open a new barn, you know, within a matter of weeks if they need to. Um, so they have that capacity and they have that investment and they have that scale. And it it really marks out the fact that seafood doesn't have that yet. Um, so so I'd gone into this into this article sort of with the question, does this give opportunity to seafood if there's a reduction in meat supply? Um, and there was sort of tentative, eh, yes, sort of, but not really because meat's going to ramp up again very quickly. And because seafood at the end of the day doesn't yet have the ability to fill that gap, that protein gap. It simply doesn't have the volumes, um, nowhere near the volumes. And also its price levels are pretty high. So so even if even if beef prices go up, which which they have, um, it still doesn't sort of hit the most seafood products prices. Um, so again, that's something that seafood needs to you know, needs to do something about seafood. As you say, Drew, I think seafood needs scale and it needs consolidation. Uh, this isn't a new new piece of information, obviously, but it really hit home talking to these other proteins. If seafood's ever going to compete, you know, really compete with them, then it needs to be. It needs to be bigger, much, much bigger. I wonder, you know, to what extent that when I when I was reading the the uh, the story. You know, I wondered to what extent some of that was wishful thinking on the part of the, or at least um, historical thinking, maybe we could call it, where the experts were talking about how things had been versus, um, this is such an overused term nowadays, but versus the new normal. And it seemed to me that there, um, they almost... <laughs> They almost had it too figured out. And I guess that's what happens when a supply chain consolidates so much, it becomes much more predictable um, because they kind of, you know, they, they knew um, kind of exactly what was going to be, uh, you know, happening with the, the herd and what's going to be happening with, um, you know, with, with demand in China. And, you know, they, they just kind of were able to bring together all these things all over the map. And my guess is that they really have no clue, um, just like the rest of the world, what might happen um, in, the coming, uh, in the coming months. Because it kind of goes, what they were saying doesn't seem to connect with what we're reading about in, um, in, the, in the mainstream press about, um, about coronavirus and how it's shutting down these factories, about how companies are having to just slaughter you know, tons of pigs because there's no market for them. I mean, I think this is slightly different and, and absolutely they're the experts. I'm not saying that they don't know what they're talking about, but I just think there is this question mark hanging over everything that, um, that people that are trying to bet on where the future is going um, I, I think it just brings all that into question. Um, it just seems um, it, it just seems like it's very very hard to predict 
how the production is going to go, number one, but also how consumers are going to respond. Because it does seem that there is something changing in the way that people think about how they, they eat. So I don't know if you talked to, to them about that at all, Rachel, or did you get the sense at all that they were in a place of not knowing what's going to happen in some ways? No, no, but that sort of supports your point. There was a there was a definite sort of um, kickback on the on the questions, I think, and a, a, maybe an overconfidence in what they were saying. I mean, as you say, it's it's hard to predict, and no one really knows. But I suppose the point is, you hope you might admit some some element of not knowing. So perhaps in that sense, yeah, um, it, it's hard to say, but. But it does bring me back to the point that I do think these industries are more predictable. So while it's sort of surprising to have that level of confidence in how things are going to pan out, and obviously no one truly knows how things are going to pan out, um, it is something that can be done more easily in these other protein industries. You know, we're so used to talking to people in the seafood industry who have such high risk in their operations and have such sort of inflexibility in the way they do things um you know one small disruption can can really hurt a company in the seafood industry whereas you feel like in the in the meat industry there's far more uh resilience really to, to these shocks that come along so whether whether coronavirus will be the shock that actually does you know finally hurt the meat the uh, the meat industry we'll see but i do feel like um yeah, they're in a position to be more confident about the outcomes, to be honest. Yeah, well, I I think the meat guys and the poultry guys will be just fine. I think that is a much more elastic uh, production and supply chain than seafood, as Rachel kind of just said. Uh, I mean, look no farther than Alaska salmon. Um, I know it's on the wild side of the equation, but... You know, the last few seasons haven't been so great up there. That sector of the industry is broken right now. There's too much capacity. Uh, there's going to be, you know, there already is consolidation. Uh, Copper River right now, we can't get a fish through the system because uh, we can't catch any right now. So those are those are the very real things that the seafood industry has to deal with that that the beef guys and the poultry guys really don't and uh, you know the, the ultimate question here when we started this this part of the discussion was will meats problems be seafood's gain and no no they won't cuz the meat the meat industry's problem is very short term in the scale of things and when they bounce back they'll bounce back just fine. So at least that's the way it feels to me. I, I wish it was different, but I don't think it is. I think you're wrong. Um, and I think that what is... How dare you? <laughs> I, think, I think what's going to happen is... And I don't think it's going to happen overnight. So I agree, John, that there is going to be a move back towards a kind of normalcy of sorts. But I think that... You know, and, and, and this isn't an original thought because you see this um, written about all over, but I think that hopefully, maybe, this has the world thinking a little bit, huh, this is a pretty big problem, uh, and it is way beyond what any single country, any single 
any single government can handle. Well, guess what? There's a much bigger problem that is much bigger than any other uh, country or government, and that is climate change. And I think and I hope that what this whole process of how our lives have been so disrupted, how our food supply chain has been disrupted, how everything that we've all gotten used to uh, as, uh, as modern, uh, modern humans, that that can just go immediately. Uh, it can go away so quickly. And I think that um, I think people might start to look a little bit further down the road and see, huh, some of these agricultural systems are not really that sustainable. Um, it's not going to go away. There will be cows to eat, but I think that um, I think that we may see a bit less of that on people's plates. And I think that I think seafood will be a gainer there, if only because seafood has nowhere to go but up. So I'm not sure if that is uh, <laughs> winning or if it's losing less. I don't know. But I think that I think that as the as the terrestrial agriculture uh, industry shrinks somewhat um, and and spreads out its risk from a business perspective, these companies are massive and they are. I mean, Cargill's something like one hundred and thirty billion dollars. So they're smart enough to know, huh? You know what? We need to get into salmon feed, and that's just what they did. They wrote a check and got into salmon feed. And I think that there will be this thinking of, uh, of, of consumers kind of questioning their uh, seafood supply chain, their choices and where their food comes from um, in a larger sense because those, the, the terrestrial agriculture system is definitely, definitely one of the leading causes of climate change. And, um, you know, I like bacon. I hope bacon doesn't go away. But at the same time, can we uh, farm less uh, meat, less uh, terrestrial meat in favor of maybe plants, but also maybe seafood? Yeah, I see that happening. But, but this, this problem right now with, with beef and poultry isn't climate related. This is a, you know, this is a production interruption, um, mostly because of corona and the lack of being able to get people to the plants and things like that so while i don't disagree with your your point about the climate change and and all that that this particular problem is i don't think uh fallout from that no. unless you believe unless you believe the virus is somehow spun from some climate related thing and it could be for all i know what do i know so well that's been interesting though because there's been some interesting connections made there not in a in a necessarily scientific way but just about how um these weird animals that have carried this um how some of their habitat just isn't around and it's been creeping into you know more inhabited uh areas so i i don't know about that but but i do think that yes short term meat will probably come come back um i guess Dwayne lands from cattlefax was saying it's you know it's not too far off uh rachel wasn't he saying by the end of the summer we'd be close to where we were last year or something like that at least in the u.s yeah i mean it, he think he thought for the the rest of the year they'd be at sort of 95 yeah. percent capacity um yeah. yeah yeah so pretty close yeah it could be 
um, you know, that they, they just sort of get back to normal. But yeah, I think, I think more, John, what I was saying is it's just a dress rehearsal maybe for when a real crisis hits. Is this a real crisis? Absolutely. Um, is it a crisis of the scale that climate change will be? Not even close. Um, it feels like it, but climate change, I don't think we'll, we'll be near as bored as we are right now. I think it's, um, we'll all be way too busy. <laughs> a little more excited. We'll just be drowning. Learning instead. to swim. Yeah. <laughs> Putting on our water yeah. wings. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I, I want to feel like Drew does, but I sort of feel like John does. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I I do. Just to, just for today, I feel a little bit like John does. I feel like maybe coronavirus. I was more hopeful at the beginning of this crisis that this would sort of compound um some some larger issues that we uh, are suffering in the world, like climate change and inequality, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I sort of feel like actually maybe it's just distracting from them. Um, and then when this is all over, we'll all just be so relieved that it's all over that we'll just want to go back to exactly how we were living before. So I don't know. I don't know. I think I think that you're right. There is opportunity for seafood. But I sort of think as the seafood industry is now, the opportunity is small. Um, and yeah, as you say, Drew, I think maybe maybe there needs to be some bigger protein companies involved in the seafood chain um, for it to really really take advantage on, on any front at all. And that will probably happen. So, yeah, that at least is hopeful. Well, I am not going to let either of you rain on my parade. I'm going to stay positive about the coming crisis <laughs> and say well, that, <laughs> that okay. yes, we... Good for you. Yes, that's how I'm going to frame this. I will be positive about the coming crisis. Let's just keep <laughs> in mind that many giants have come in and tried to tame seafood over <laughs> the last 40 years, and nah, they haven't done so well. So maybe this this industry is just, you know, just on its own path no matter what, but we'll see. Yeah, that's wow. true. Well, and I think, you know, the horse and buggy, too. I mean, look at that. It, it persisted <laughs> after all this time. Uh, I remember when, uh, you know, Henry Ford said his Model A was going to replace him, and here we are today, still riding Mr. around Mr. Conglomerate over there. Horses yeah. and uh, buggies. Uh, well, I control the I control the switchboard. That's the great thing about it is uh, <laughs> I can just shut you guys off and up, mute you, and uh, you know I get the last word and get to make my point. <laughs> but uh, well, this is going to be uh, an ongoing uh, discussion and debate that will play out in our pages, uh, and by pages I mean on our pixels on our screens. But uh, we've got loads of coronavirus. Uh, coverage. Um, I'm sure that you are a coronavirus out once in a while. Um, and so we have a coronavirus newsletter that you can find right there on our site that gives you our daily roundup of coverage uh, on coronavirus. Because there is news out there that is not coronavirus related. There truly is. Um, and, and, uh, and, and we have it up there for you. But, um, but more than anything, we're trying to give you the context and the, um, and the information you need in, in this time that's so, so confusing. So uh, go to intrafish.com if you haven't signed up for our newsletters. Also, to plug uh, other Intrafish stuff while we have your ears, we have another webinar coming up next month uh, in our Seafood Leadership Series. We will be talking to some of the leading minds in the whitefish sector 
So that's going to be great. That'll be on June 30th. Uh, registration for that's going to open up probably on Monday. Uh, also, what else do we have? We have our new revamp prices page. So check that out as well. It's redesigned. We've got more species. Uh, and it's a great, uh, great reference for uh, if you're looking for the latest uh, on some of the key species. And finally, uh, Kim Tran, who is our senior, uh, senior analyst for our business intelligence division. She has just put out a new report on investing in seafood. So check that out as well. It's absolutely essential if you're uh, in the business or looking to invest in the business. So... Uh, thanks, John and Rachel, for joining. And, folks, we will talk to you next week.